I think we all can agree that ministry is hard, but there are things that we do that make it harder than it needs to be. In today's episode, I'm actually going to be looking at an article that Carrie Newhoff wrote over on CarrieNewhoff.com, which is called Five Ways Pastors Make Ministry Harder Than It Needs to Be. There is so much in here for us to discuss, so be sure to go to CarrieNewhoff.com to check it out for yourself. I want to give him the credit that he's due. We're going to go through these five things because I think they are remarkable observations that are true to life and true to my experience. And I think that if you've been in ministry for any length of time, you're going to see in these five things something that maybe you are doing that is unnecessarily making ministry harder than it needs to be. And hopefully by the end of this, maybe we can go into 2023 differently and make some improvements on what we are making ministry hard for no reason for. I don't know if that made sense. But anyway, let's dive into it. My name's Lane. This is the Preaching Donkey Podcast. This is episode 81. It is the last episode of 2022. So I want to wish you a Merry Christmas if you're listening to this when I put it out. And I want to also wish you a Happy New Year. And that will all be coming up in the next few days. And then we'll be back in 2023. We're going to hit the ground running with lots of great content for you on preaching and on church leadership. It's going to be awesome. So I can't wait to see you in 2023. But I'm going to take a little bit of time off here at the end of the year to enjoy some time with family. Hope you do the same. Hope you're able to do the same. So here we go. Five ways pastors make ministry harder than it needs to be from kerryneuhoff.com. You know how difficult church leadership can be. You work hard to reach people. Then you ask your, yeah, you ask them to give meaningfully, volunteer their time, invite their friends. All the while, they're volunteers. CEOs at least pay their team. You ask yours to give and sacrifice and never hand them a paycheck. This, by the way, this is one of the things that causes the most tension for conscientious pastors. Here's what I mean. If you are conscientious, meaning that you care about what what other people are thinking of you, you're aware of what you're asking of people, maybe you are empathetic to the fact that you are getting paid to be there and do a thing, and yet most of the people that surround you and are also there are not getting paid to do the thing. Let's set aside staff This is just talking about volunteers. Although you could look at it like this, and I I know I had this tension sometimes where I was in positions where I knew what I was making and I knew what kind of the top line pastors were making, but then I also knew what support staff, interns, administrators, all that kind of thing. I knew what everybody was making. So I knew what was being asked of me and what was being asked of the other people And there's also a a tension there because you think, oh man, I'm getting paid more than they are. And by the way, I've been on the other side too. (laughs) I've been paid way less than everybody else because I was the young guy and there's a tension there as well, right? But there's always a tension when you're asking people to do something for free that you're paid to do, right? And if you were running a business, you would be selling a product. And if people want to buy the product, great. If they don't want to buy it, great. But you, you're giving value in exchange for value. In church work, it's not so cut and dry. So you have to be in a position where you are paid to be there and do a thing, and yet you're asking people who are not paid there to, do, to be there and do that thing to do it, which can cause you some internal tension because you're saying, not only am, am I going to ask you to do this for free, but also give 
money to keep this organization going. And by the way, that's also going to pay my salary so I can continue getting paid to do what I'm asking you to do for free, right? So you see the tension that happens. And this, by the way, is already going through your head. So we haven't even got to the five things yet that make ministry harder than it needs to be. This is just an acknowledgement of how hard it is on its own before we get to anything else. All right, we're having fun so far. And because it's a volunteer organization, he says, people can leave anytime. Increasingly, people feel freer than ever to do just that. Being a church leader is a tough assignment, very worth it, but still tough. The real question is, do you make it harder than it needs to be? Unfortunately for many leaders, including myself, the answer is yes. Ministry is hard for so many. When we live in an era where as many as 42% of pastors have indicated they're seriously thinking of quitting ministry, have you ever considered that? It's a good idea to ask whether the pressure is harder than it needs to be. He says, uh, he outlines the top five reasons 42% of pastors want to quit in an article. We may do that in another episode. He says, I think it's fair and perhaps healthy to ask whether we're doing some of this to ourselves. So he gets into it here. Here are five ways pastors make ministry harder than it needs to be. I've personally struggled with all five at different points in my leadership is what he says. And I tend to agree as well. Number one, putting far too much pressure on yourself to preach perfectly. <laughs> okay. This is one that hits very close to home. So Preaching Donkey, this this website, this blog, this podcast is about preaching. That's what we do. We talk about how to preach better, how to communicate better. And yet, that can become an obsession that is unhealthy. And I have felt this when I have preached. In the middle of preaching, I'll lose my train of thought. I'll start to think uh, that I'm not doing very well. I'll fall off of my notes and have to kind of find my way back to them. I'll make a mistake and I will feel such immense regret and shame. I didn't prepare well enough. I didn't rehearse well enough. I, I don't have a, a good enough handle on the text. What business do I have teaching preaching if I can't seem to do it perfectly myself? I'm the preaching donkey guy. Why can't I do this, right? Everybody has felt that no matter what your thing is, but there's a thing about preaching where especially when everybody in your church has access to, you know, like the best preaching, if they want it, if they want to watch so-and-so celebrity pastor sermons, they can do that. So then you get up and you feel this pressure to perform as well as XYZ pastor. And that could be a lot of pressure to place on yourself. Here's what he says about that. It's never been easier because thanks to the internet, pastors now have access to resources that even 20 years ago, church leaders could only dream of or acquire if they had a massive budget. The ability to research and explore scripture and topics is unprecedented, as is access to colleagues, peers, and mentors who can make you better. But of course, unprecedented access cuts both ways. Because your congregation also has access to everything from random information on whatever subject the pastor is addressing to famous preachers, Christians follow and admire. It's easy to put incredible pressure on yourself to preach as well as any influential pastor you or the people you serve follow. So it's the point he's making here is that the, the task of preparing a weekly sermon has simultaneously never been easier and never been more difficult. And I could not agree more. There are so many resources like Preaching Donkey. We want to help you preach at your absolute best. One of the things that I focus on more than anything is, are you communicating the ideas that you want to communicate? And the way that you know if you're communicating those ideas 
is not just did you say the words that you meant to say, that you prepared to say, but did they hear what they need to hear so they can do something with it? So communication is as much about the listener as it is about the communicator, which is why here at Preaching Donkey, we're constantly helping preachers communicate better so that their listeners can do something with it. But even with that, even with the tools that we offer, the tools that Carrie Newhoff offers, the tools that you can find all over the internet, depending on you know who you resonate with and who you want to learn from, it can still become a massive amount of pressure placed on you to say, I've got to preach perfectly. This message has got to be a home run. I've got to prove to these people that I'm worthy of them to listen to. The hype around preaching has put pressure, he says, on the weekend service that neither preachers nor the sermon were ever designed to bear. Huh, interesting. That's well said, Carrie. I will say this about Carrie Newhoff. He has a way with words and a, a message discipline that's unlike almost anybody I've ever seen, in terms, of, especially in terms of his writing. There's a lot to be learned from Carrie, but one of them is how to make a point concisely that punches. So either either he's really good at this or has an amazing editor because when I read Carrie's books and when I read his blog, I'm always impressed by how well he gets a point across in the most concise way. I have a phrase I use all the time to help alleviate the pressure I put on myself. I remind myself and my team that they can all be gems. While there's no substitute for great preparation, you can't... Oh, <laughs> I read that wrong. I missed the whole point. He says, I remind myself and my team that they can't all be gems. While there's no substitute for great preparation, you can't control the outcome or the impact of every message. So not every message can be a gem. See, I totally messed that up. I'm like, every message can be a gem. And that's really the point he's making. Not every message can be a gem. And yet we think this message, like every message I ever preach, has got to be a home run. And it just is not possible. Some messages that you think will be incredible don't land and others that you're ready to give up on and end up changing more lives than you could imagine. Sometimes you got a gem, other times you get a rock. Your job is to prepare as well as you can, preach from an open and ready heart, and trust God for the outcome. Very good. One fantastic way to take the pressure off yourself is to book an adequate time to prepare, not just for the message, but to prepare your heart, how to preach, then get up to do your best. That's it. That's all you can do. The fact that God would use flawed humans to deliver a sermon is shocking and inspiring, it also relieves a tremendous amount of pressure. This is one of the reasons why I say, if God can speak through a donkey, he can speak through you. The reason why I say that is because it's kind of amazing that God used a donkey in the Old Testament, Numbers 22, Balaam's donkey, to communicate a message to Balaam. And it's also equally as unbelievable that God can use flawed human beings to also communicate the most important message in the world, which is the gospel. So you can do it, but it does not have to be perfect every time. And by the way, I want to offer you something that will help you in your pre sermon preparation. Go to preachingdonkey.com slash 21 days. This is my 21 day guide to creating killer sermons. Not every message is going to be killer. All right. But this is going to give you a head start. It's going to give you a jump start into making messages that resonate with your people. 
21 days will walk you through a three-step process of how to create and deliver compelling messages that are life-changing. So preachingdonkey.com slash 21 days, totally for free, my gift to you. So number one is that we put way too much pressure on ourselves to preach perfectly. Number two, making the church too personality-driven and not mission-driven. It's so easy for churches and leaders to become personality-driven, not mission-driven. It's easy to focus on narcissistic leaders who attempt to build a church around themselves, but the problem is actually far more innocent and widespread than that. Here's the challenge. Many pastors have great communication skills and even more have great people skills. The result, they end up being a charismatic leader that people love to follow. Maybe you're like this. So there's a lot of different people that there's, there's just a desire to follow that kind of person. The culture we live in, if you're gifted, the drift of ministry will naturally migrate to a personality-driven ministry. It's your job as a leader to ensure your church stays mission-driven, not personality-driven. It's easy to think of personality-driven ministry as the problem of growing churches or mega churches, but it's much more widespread. This is something I talk about a lot, that... It is easy to look at celebrity pastors and mega churches and say, wow, look how personality driven that church is, and yet miss that the same phenomenon can happen in a 200 person church if that church is wrapped around one personality who drives every decision and drives the vision and drives everything, drives the identity of the church. If it's wrapped around one person, it doesn't mean that it doesn't matter if there's 50 people or 50,000. If it's wrapped around one person, it is personality driven. And that risk is just as pronounced in smaller churches as it is in bigger churches. In fact, I would argue that in a smaller churches, in a smaller church, it's probably easier to be personality driven because that person has such a big influence on a smaller amount of people. So it's easy at this point to say something like, and that's exactly why all churches should stay small. This is the point he he makes. Not so fast. Don't just blame mega church pastors for falling victim to personality-driven ministries. In many cases, the ultimate personality-driven church is the small church. The congregation in which the pastor does everything from preaching to leading all teams to pastoral visitation to counseling. Many, if not most, small churches become per- completely dependent on their pastor for, well, everything. And when he or she leaves, the congregation is helpless to do any ministry. Ironically, many megachurches are much better at releasing the gifts of their members than small churches. That's why most don't collapse when a charismatic but healthy church leader leaves. Small churches often don't flourish nearly as well. All the gifts of ministry don't reside in a single pastor. Mission-driven churches thrive. Personality church churches don't. So make sure that you are a mission-driven church. One of the ways to do this is to, as he said, release more ministry. Do fewer things yourself and allow the people around you to do more of those things. When it is a personality-driven ministry, that becomes very hard because the pressure then is on you. People's faith is in you. You don't want that, right? You are not Jesus. You are not the Savior. You do not need to be the superstar of the church. Number three thing, the third thing that makes ministry harder than it needs to be, convincing yourself that everything is riding on every decision. Oh, this is good. I cannot tell you how many meetings I've been in and churches that I've served in 
where we would sit there and beat our heads over against the wall over the service times. We got to change the service times. Oh, this is going to make such an impact. Oh my gosh, people are going to be upset. Oh my gosh, other people are going to be happy. If we don't get this right, everything is going to fall apart in this. No, it's not. It's not going to fall apart over one decision. Everything is not riding on every decision. It's easy to convince yourself that everything is riding on every decision. Guess what? It's not. The trap here is that you feel the weight of leading a church, and like many other pastors, I took that responsibility very seriously. In my less healthy seasons, though, that often led me to think that every decision was in everything's riding on this decision. There are a handful of those decisions you'll have to make as a church leader, but not every day. If you fall into that trap, you'll do everything from failing to take risks, stress out everyone around you, and compromise your health. A better way to look at this is to imagine a scale of one to 10 when you're making a decision. Being very low, one being a very low risk decision and 10 being everything is riding on this kind of decision. Even this short mental exercise will help you see that perhaps what you're looking at is a three out of 10. And if that's the case, failure isn't fatal and it's worth the risk. Every once in a while, you might have an everything's riding on this 10 out of 10 decision. That's why you have prayer, a board, trusted advisors, and faith. Prayerfully make the decision, know you've done your best. By the way, if you are trying to change things in your church, Carrie Newhoff has a great book. It's called Leading Change Without Losing It. Short book, phenomenal, amazing. It's a great, it's it's a little book that teaches you how to walk your church through important kind of shifts and changes that you want to do, but you need to handle with care. Those 10 out of 10 decisions. Those are real, that's a really good book. Leading with leading change without losing it. Number four, waiting until you're exhausted to take a break. Let's call it what it is. Far too often church leaders never take a break or they wait until they're exhausted to head out on vacation or sabbatical. The even sadder version of this is taking an involuntary break. By involuntary, I mean everything from board imposed sabbaticals and vacations to leaders who blow the whistle for time off uh, minutes before they, they careen off a cliff. Why do pastors run themselves into the ground? Often it's because they're trying to be faithful. But exhaustion isn't faithfulness, burnout isn't noble, and fatigue isn't a spiritual gift. Ultimately, leaders who never take a break end up breaking. So... I've, I've said a lot about this. In fact, just a few episodes ago, I talked about the importance of taking an actual break, not just a vacation where you're working the whole time, not just a day off where you're still on call, but actual time away and the importance of that. So go look up that episode if you want to kind of get a, a deeper view of how and why this is so important to take a break and take a real break. But suffice it to say, he's totally right. Ultimately, if you're if you wait until you're at the at your wits end to step away, you're likely it's going to be a fatal move in terms of your ministry longevity. Number five, not building a life outside of work and ministry. Far too many pastors, for too many pastors, their ministry becomes their identity. It's an easy occupational hazard because unlike most other jobs, who you are is so similar to what you do. When I was in law, law was something I did during the day but a Christian is who I was. Once I be, began in ministry, those lines got blurred all too quickly. So this is this is common. If you're a pastor, it is who you are and it is what you do. And it's very hard to separate the job from the identity. It's all too easy to make a ministry, make ministry your life, which for pastors means you have no life. Your family suffers, you suffer. And most surprisingly of all, so does your congregation because they don't have a healthy leader. 
So what makes this particularly difficult is that it's hard to turn ministry off. For example, you try to take your day off on Saturday, but the moment you touch your phone, you start seeing messages from members. Or in the quiet of some downtime, you start ruminating about Sunday's message or picking up a leadership or theological book to read. I suffered from this for far too long. The best antidote I know is not to take time off, but to set up hobbies, activities, and projects that occupy your downtime. That not just to take time off, time off is important, but it's to set up hobbies, activities, and projects that occupy your downtime. That can be as simple as reading a novel, watching a movie, socializing with good friends, or playing with your kids. And of course, it could mean getting an actual hobby, which is a mark of most healthy leaders, by the way. A hobby can be anything from mountain biking, running, photography, barbecue, a personal fave, woodworking, hiking, you name it. The point is to engage your mind with something that requires focus. When your mind is fully engaged in something else, you can't focus on work. So good. Whether this is exercise or yard work, or like he said, you know, mountain biking, running, woodworking, do something. Leaders who lack an off-time activity that require their focus rarely refuel when they're off. Before you feel guilty, here's the surprise. Having a life outside of ministry makes you better at ministry. You return refreshed and thus you have way more to give. And when you have something to look forward to on your time off, it motivates you to work harder to accomplish everything before your day off. Ministry is hard, but <clears throat> uh, sure, ministry is hard, but not all the difficulties out of your control. Take the pressure off in these five areas within your control, and it can and will make a big difference. So my question is, which one of these things speaks most to you? In terms of if you're going into 2023, you want to do things differently. These are five ways that ministry is made harder than it needs to be by the people who do ministry. Which one could you work on? So are you putting too much pressure on yourself to preach perfectly? Like I said, I can help you with that, preachingdonkey.com slash 21 days. But that is still not, you're not always going to preach a gym and it's not always going to be perfect. So are you putting too much pressure on yourself to preach perfectly? Maybe, uh, my, my argument would be, is that you actually would end up preaching better in the long run if you don't put so much pressure on any given sermon. I think some people need to hear that, that any given sermon. I was doing a sermon eval just the other day with a guy. And one of the things I talk about when I do sermon evaluations is I will tell them when we're doing it, I'll say, look, this is one sermon that we're evaluating. And there is no one sermon that says everything about your preaching ministry. It's not like we can look at any one sermon and decide that you're a great preacher or a mediocre preacher. It's just a sermon. So I'm going to give you observations, things that you did well, things that you can work on in the next sermon, right? Because this sermon's already done. It's, it's a product. It's out there. It's, it's God's going to use it or he's not going to use it, but there's nothing you can do about that. It's already done. The next sermon we can work on, right? And the sermon after that we can work on and the sermon after that we can work on and eventually they get better. It's, it's like over time you get better at preaching, but there's no one sermon that's going to be the thing that is just proves your worthiness as, as a pastor. So don't put pressure on yourself to preach any given sermon amazingly perfectly. Just get better over time. Just get better with every sermon. So maybe it's that. Maybe it's the second thing that he mentioned, making the church too personality-driven and not mission-driven. Maybe you need to give more ministry away to other people. Number three, convincing yourself that everything is riding on every decision. Maybe you sit in meetings where because this is a pressure you feel, you kind of give this pressure to your team. And it might be time to say, hey, let's take a step back and let's put a scale of one to 10 and let's measure the enormity of these decisions because maybe they're not as bad as we think or not as, not as much as riding on them as we think. 
Number four, waiting until you're exhausted to take a break. Maybe you need a break. Maybe you need a real true break right now from ministry. And then four or five, not building a life outside of work and ministry. Maybe because it is your passion and your calling, it's become everything about your identity. It's everything you are. And maybe it's time to figure out what else are you into? What can you do with your mind and with your hands that will focus you outside of ministry concerns that will then make you a better pastor because you will be more balanced and more well-rounded, more whole. Those are the five things I think going into 2023, it would be really cool to take an inventory and figure out what am I going to work on? Can't do all five. Maybe you can do one, maybe you can do two, and that would be a great start. I am so excited about 2023. I've got some amazing content planned for you. It's going to be great. Until then, remember, if God can speak through a donkey, he can speak through you, and he can speak through me. Have a happy new year. Have a Merry Christmas. I'll see you in January of 2023 right off the bat with some new content. Until then, I love you. I'm cheering for you, and I hope that you have a wonderful end of your year.